This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back, Crime Scene Queens. We are the show to listen to. If you want to hear from real experts in the field, you know, the girls that have true understanding of confidentiality and respect for the deceased and their families, and we're definitely not going to exploit those victims. So that being said, I'm Shelly. I am your courtroom cat. And I am Laura, your friendly resident field mouse and crime scene investigator. So, Shelly, you know, (laughs) just to like sidebar off of our topic today, which by the way, everybody, we're going to be going into how a crime scene investigator documents evidence and documents the scene, everything from victims to teeny tiny little things and very, very big things. So basically photos, sketches, and videos. Mm -hmm. Oh my. (laughs) (laughs) So today, you know, it's not too far off from the release of our episode on drugs. And I made like a little social media video of me pretending to go through this, like, grow house. The reason why I bring this up is because the little video that I posted, it shows me, like, taking pictures of the scene. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, Taking pictures of the scene. So I couldn't help but think about, like, I'm sure people wonder how we are able to capture documenting all these crime scenes as we move through them. I know there's a lot of silliness that you see on TV You and I always make fun of it. There's no hologram that pops up that shows us the scene. You know, all the insanity that you see through television and media, which some people with brighter brains know the difference, but not always. Yes. this That CSI effect. Yeah. Exactly. So I thought I would take our listeners through a breakdown of what we do. Now, before I get into this. There are Mm -hmm. technologies that I'm going to mention that some crime scene units might not use. Mm -hmm. Additionally, your crime scene unit might use a tool or a new technology that I don't mention. Forensics is fluid. And depending on people's budgets, resources, or even Mm -hmm. awareness, things change. Mm -hmm. So if I miss something or there's something I say that you didn't know about... Reach out to us. We'll refresh this at the end of the episode, but you can email us at hellocrimescenequeens.com. Hey, Laura and Shelly, just so you know, I use this really cool tool for documentation or wow, I didn't know about that. You can also find us on social media platforms, you know, yes. just to keep us like, you know, in a friend. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like I, I definitely like to learn and, and know, you know, who's using what where because, you know, especially mm-hmm. when you teach, you know, I travel all over. So I want to know what they're using. Exactly, Shelly. And like, We always say in forensics, the learning is unlimited. Correct. Okay. But we're going to keep this relatively basic, though you know how it works. You and I end up talking and then spouting off at the mouth. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. There's so much here and every crime scene is different and every department is different. Every agency is different. Everyone does things different, but you just have, you have a general, I mean, if we could just say that there's like a general template that Mm -hmm. is industry standard that we all follow. And then, you know, you kind of specialize it and make it your own. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I actually have a little story 
about how you just mentioned every agency is different. Well, guess what else, Shelly? Every detective is different and oh, every yeah. supervisor is different. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yep. And sometimes they can ask us to do things differently, but you're right. There is a foundational way that we do things. Now, largely the way that we document crime scenes is through photography, sketches, mm-hmm. and video. Mm-hmm. And these are media ways or visual ways of documenting the scene. You might hear me reference as we move through this conversation, like notes, because crime scene notes are also very, very important. But the one that most people think of right off the bat is going to be photography. When I got hired in crime scene in 2010, there were actually some crime scene units that used a point-and-shoot camera, which is, if you think about the 90s, those little Sony cameras that we all had. But now, typically, everybody in crime scene units are going to use what's known as a DSLR camera. Mm -hmm. And those are the fancy cameras that you see photographers use that are professional. They have a detachable flash. They have removable lenses. They are bigger and fatter and heavier. However, they also take a lot better pictures. They also have a lot more settings. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't even say what DSLR means. It's digital. I was going to get there. I was was waiting. (laughs) Thank you. I I could feel it. I think I could feel the pricklies of you saying, tell them what that is, Laura. (laughs) So a DSLR camera is a digital single lens reflex camera. Mm -hmm. And this camera allows you to adjust things like aperture, and shutter speed, which if you think about an eyeball, you have your eyelid and then you have your pupil that opens and closes. So we can control the amount of light entering the camera. That's just a really brief way of explaining that. Obviously, there's much more advanced ways, but those cameras- Yeah, it's very in-depth. Exactly. Yeah. But those cameras allow us to take our higher quality images and capture what we need to capture. Mm -hmm. Now, there are three main types of photographs that a CSI takes on scene. I think in the past episodes, we have referenced like, oh, well, while I was taking my overall photographs or while I was doing this. When you first arrive on scene, the first thing that you would do outside of collecting basic information is overall photographs. These photographs are meant to establish where that crime scene is on the earth, literally. Like, from your crime scene photographs, you should be able to see street signs, house numbers, traffic lights, intersections, all of that stuff that's just going to say, this is the address, this is where we are. I mean, obviously, you can't take a picture of the fact that this is in Florida or maybe a specific city, but for all intensive purposes, the jurisdiction in which you work, this is that location within that jurisdiction. However, we do have listeners that live in very very rural areas. And so, you know, they may mm-hmm. not have a traffic light. They may not have, you know, major intersections. So, mm-hmm. but saying, you know, sometimes it's, you know, there's a big oak tree. And so you're going to mm-hmm. start off at the oak tree because there isn't an intersection where you're at. Yeah. And I imagine you would take like a GPS plot point or something. Yeah. Yeah. I know that one time when I had a scene that was a little bit more rural than that, I actually, my first photograph was the case number and the address. And I am aware that some CSIs do that already as a standard. Like they'll take like a placard picture. That's what we do. As their, yeah. As their very first picture. Mm-hmm. There's, like I said, there's no right or wrong way. I guess it's a really good way to categorize your photos and lump them together. But 
my best practice is I only used one SD card or memory card per scene. I didn't like put multiple different crime scenes on each SD card, which I guess if you have that placard, it would allow you to do that. But that's what I was going to say is, is it, it, that's a significant uh, thing that you can definitely tell different, Mm -hmm. you know, different scenes from each other, which yeah, I want to, I want to hit on that actually, because that was one of the things I wanted to talk about. Fantastic. I, you know, I love hearing your perspective, (laughs) but just to wrap up overall photographs, it's not just like where the scene is in space. You're also this this includes the overall elements of the scene. So if you have an outdoor scene, you're going to want to start big, work your way small and cover all of the areas of known evidence. When you have an outdoor scene, lots of outliers can happen that could cause you to expand the size and scope of that scene. That's just how it is. We do our best, right? For an Mm -hmm. indoor scene, if there's a building or structure, you are going to take 365-degree photographs of that structure. You're going to include entrances to things like fences, things like every entryway to the home, doorways, is there forced entry. You'll be documenting all of that through overall photographs, and then you'll get, like, more particular as you move on. You'll go into the structure. Every room will be covered. Now, for me, there are two ways of documenting a room. Some people like to do a 90-degree straight-on shot of each wall. I am a corner-to-corner person. I like to shoot corner-to-corner in each room. Mm -hmm. I like the way that those photographs overlap better. However, like we've mentioned a few times already, everybody has their own way. Yes, I'm going to stop you right there Mm -hmm. because I just want to clarify something. I agree with you on the corner-to-corner and what Laura's talking about is, you know, if, if you imagine a room as a box, you walk into the door and usually you're usually you're in a corner. And if you're in the corner, then you would start by taking photographs, you know, either if you start off to, you know, you go clockwise or counterclockwise, whichever way you want to do that. The reason for that is because at the end of the day, what you want to do is you want to paint this picture with your photographs of almost like a panoramic view so that you can see Mm -hmm. everything so that when she, you know, when Laura was saying everything's overlapping, so that that way you can see everything, there's nothing missing because evidentiary reasons. Yeah. And I don't know if you're going to get into that. So I don't want to, I don't yes. want to spoiler alert that. So I figured I'd just yes. stop there. <laughs> yes. So the way that I in particular like to take my overall photographs is I like every photograph to overlap in a way that looks kind of like a stop motion movie. Some find that to be excessive. I have found it to serve me well for yes. what Shelly is referring to. The truth of the matter, sometimes evidence gets misplaced or lost. And when you have a thorough photographic record of the scene, it does preserve some of the integrity of the investigation. So not saying mm-hmm. that has happened a lot or at all necessarily to me. I just am aware that this has been a failsafe. Overall photographs are really, really important for if you think about the foundation of a map, streets, roads, major outlines of buildings, understanding of rooms. If you think about the floor plan, if you've ever gone to look for a house or an apartment, you need to know where things are, right? And it really helps you have context. And moving on to mid-range photographs. These photographs show spatial relationship between elements of the scene. So as I move through mid-range photographs, I'm going to take one round of mid-range photographs where I have not collected or marked anything. And the reason for this is what Shelly was referring to earlier about evidence and integrity and making sure that things are not being manipulated 
for the betterment of the defense and the prosecution alike. Mm -hmm. I will take one round of mid-range photographs. So if you think about that corner to corner of the room, mid-range would be like, oh, here's the dresser. Here's what's on the dresser. Here's what's in the trash can. Here's what's in the drawers. Here's what's in the car trunk. Yeah. So when I, you know, when I, when I teach this, I pretty much tell them that it's a spatial relation between either an item of evidence or a potential item of evidence to Mm -hmm. where that sits in the room. So to another object. Absolutely. I 100% agree. These pictures are going to highlight areas of interest, but that doesn't mean that you won't include things that are not areas of interest in them. Because as we've mentioned before, sometimes the lack of evidence is just as important as the presence of evidence. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So after I've done my initial mid-range photographs, I will now begin a light to Diet Coke to maybe a couple of calories evidence search. (laughs) I will start plopping down evidence tents and markers around things that I know are going to be evidence, weapons, clothing, projectiles, casings, things of that nature, things that are obviously relevant to the scene, or maybe things that I think might be relevant to the scene. It's okay to mark something as evidence, everyone, and then it doesn't end up being evidence. You're allowed to mark something as suspicion. Mm -hmm. Just because you put a number cone next to it and take a picture of it as if it's evidence doesn't mean that you're saying it definitely is. Correct. I'm interested Mm -hmm. because I I, my my – custom and practice is a smidge different than yours. Go ahead. Tell me. So I actually do my overalls, then I do my mid-range, and then uh-huh. I'll do close-ups of items that I believe are evidence, depending on how many items of evidence there are in a room, on a scene, you know, if I have to quadrant it off, whatever I need to do, you know, depending on how big it is. Mm-hmm. But I always like to do a close-up of the evidence without a placard and then one with a placard because – or, you know, mm-hmm. evidence tense because – there's this potential that, you know, if if you set an evidence tent down next to an item of evidence, are you hiding anything mm-hmm. by putting it on there? And I think that that, you know, that has been an issue uh, legally before. So that's why I like to do yeah. close-ups without evidence placards and then with. Yeah, I hear you. So I think that's why I said, well, we do the mid-range photographs with nothing first, and then I do a light evidence search. So like, If I'm going to take mid-range photographs of said the body, I'm typically going to do like that overall shot. Mm -hmm. And if there is something that I'm worried is going to get kicked or moved or that it needs to be established in the scene, then I'll go ahead and mark it. But I'm not plotting down things probably the way that you're imagining where like you have everything and the point of the cones is then to show the story of the evidence as we move through. Gotcha. Okay. mm -hmm. So you're you're lightly sprinkling Okay. Yes. That, yes. Okay. I, that, so that was the Diet Coke mm-hmm. reference with a few mm-hmm. calories. So you're like, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you're, you're, you're just barely splashing the pot. <laughs> yes. I'm just barely <laughs> okay, splashing the you. pot. And it's kind of just to help me, you know, sometimes these scenes are really large. And if I don't plop down that this area matters, then I might forget or I might miss something. Yeah. I or don't. someone might walk through your scene and not know that there's evidence there and kick a shell casing and now. You know, projectiles no longer ejecting, you know, right and back. It's now forward and wherever it went. Yeah. I understand. Exactly. I can I can appreciate that. And that's why I was saying, <laughs> normally it depends on how big the scene is. And, you know, no scene is the same. 
So yeah, yeah. and yeah, and to Shelly's point, when I go in for my first round of close-up photographs, I will take a picture of everything with nothing that I have identified as an item of evidence. This usually has constituted by now the second or third evidence search. We can probably cover evidence search methods in another episode. We don't really, this isn't, that's not the place for this here, but I'll take a picture of everything Mm -hmm. and okay, so I can be a little crazy with this. I'm going to go take a picture of everything and then I'm going to be very, very particular with each item that I view as important for the next round. I'm going to be doing potentially with tripod, 90 degree photos, maybe with or without scale. And um, Mm -hmm. as we've mentioned in previous episodes, the reason why we do with and without scale scale is exactly what Shelly has said earlier. It can become a legal issue when it appears that something is being concealed. Hiding of evidence, yeah. Right, exactly. So I mentioned a tripod because there is certain evidence where it really does matter that the angle of the photograph on scene, not just in the lab, because we can get to that in a minute, on scene needs to be 90 degrees. Things like shoe impressions, footprints mm-hmm. or impressions. Tire marks. Tire marks. Even like fingerprints or things that are in dust. Blood mm-hmm. spatter. Mm-hmm. These all need to be photographed at a 90 degree angle. And so you will get out your tripod. You will use specific lighting depending on the- Or your quad cer- pod. I like tripods. I know people love quad pods. I like tripods because sometimes, so let's just talk about challenges with photography, guys. Sometimes your evidence is like right up against a wall or underneath something. Or imagine yeah. this, a bloody print on a doorknob. Like, yeah. yeah. You need How are you going to get out- your quad pod? Yeah. Exactly. So you need to be, It's evidence is not always easy. Like I've had a bloody fingerprint on the, inside of a car's doorknob. I was just going to say the door handle. It's on the underneath part yes. of the door handle. How are you, yeah, you can't get a quad pot or a tripod up in there. Yeah. So what I had to do is somebody basically had to pull it open as much as they could. Mm-hmm. And then I took a picture of it as best I could. It was definitely not still 90. And then I just took it out. I took the whole doorknob out of a car and collected <laughs> it. I know. I'm a dick, right? I'm a dick. I know. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. I know. You know people have done worse. Yeah, it's fine. No, that, that's good. That's, right. You know what? That's, being, that's being thorough. I can't help it. I'm crazy. I'll have no, to post a picture OCD of me yellow. effing up this car. You should see it. I have pictures of me like taking a sledgehammer to this car to like bash out the doorknob. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So first I'm like, wait, what? And now I know. <laughs> Because I had to get it off and it's not easy. Yeah, I'm thinking like she's like, you you were like, is it Carrie Underwood? I don't even know who who it was, but. um, I'm trying to, that scene was a, one of those um, where they met to buy drugs and it didn't go well. So they started cross firing and then they all fled. Oh, fun. Good times. Yeah. So he was bleeding when he opened the car door. So now that I kind of fringe brought it up, I'll go ahead and mention there what typically an ideal situation, if you do have a piece of evidence that's collectible, it is ideal to do your best on scene for 90, but then also rephotograph it in the lab with proper lighting, proper tools. Like it's just gonna give you a better clean image. So 
I know some of you are thinking, like, how can I possibly do that with shoe prints or shoe impressions? Well, that's another episode, so you'll have to stay tuned. But basically, the answer is we do have collection methods for those things, and mm-hmm. we can then photograph them in the lab. However, you must, must, must also do it on scene first. You Absolutely. never collect anything like that without thorough photographs yes. ever. Right? Yep. Absolutely. Okay. So sometimes we'll do photography in the lab. It'll become very important when you're using like a chemical reagent to develop a latent fingerprint because Mm -hmm. it's not the same as like lifting powder on a card. You're developing the print on the surface and then you have to photograph it. Yes. So that's a whole other separate thing, but that's a kind of an off-scene method, but I thought I'd mention it because it's relevant. So Shelly... What would I do if I have a crime scene in the parking lot of an apartment complex and it's pitch black at night and all of my pictures of the blood spatter that's up and down the street in front of the apartment complex are black? I'm getting so excited. I know you are. I'm so excited (laughs) because I love this method. It's called painting with light. (laughs) Tell me about painting with light since this is – you're getting so excited. You you fill in the blanks. so I love painting with light. Mm-hmm. It is the most, it's, it's super fun. So it reminds me of people with like glow sticks and yep. uh, it's, I'm okay. a little excited right now. I know. I, I can tell. Okay. So basically, so yeah. like, let, to calm Shelly down, if we have a scene where the lighting conditions are not ideal and we are unable to capture proper detail, these are typically outdoor scenes. What you will do is a process called painting with light and you're going to take your SLR camera And you know how I mentioned earlier how there is an aperture and a shutter speed and it's like an eyeball? So what we'll do is you'll have a external flash and a lot of flashlights and help. And you will not push the little button with your finger to make the camera go. You'll have an – I can't remember the name of it right now. And you'll open up that shutter speed. It's called a remote. Thank you. A remote. Yeah. Dang it. Because you want to illuminate. Yeah, a remote. Because you want to illuminate every – you want to illuminate the well, scene. Well, the purpose of that remote is something else. So you're going to oh, open yeah, up yeah. The, sh- the the aperture and uh, the shutter speed so that essentially if you just hold your eyeball open, it's going to continue to absorb light. So you'll have the camera on the tripod and you'll kind mm-hmm. of hide yourself and – As you're lighting up the scene, somebody will be using the remote to deploy the picture being taken. The reason why you don't physically take the picture on the camera is because it will then shake the camera. Even if it's a teeny tiny amount, because the aperture and shutter speed are open, it will cause a distortion in the image. So I have some very, very cool pictures of before and after painting with light. Because just like Shelly and I were mentioning, you still need to show the scene the way that it was authentically, which means that painting with light is not a true and accurate representation of the scene when you arrived. So you'll do your Mm -hmm. pictures anyways, and everything will be black, but whatever. And then you will paint with light. And it's really, really cool because sometimes when the fire department comes, we get these really high-powered, like, lights from them. And you can literally almost make it daytime with painting with light. They're called – yeah, I think they're called stadium lights or something like that. Yeah. And they are insane. I don't even know the lumens on them. 
But yeah, mm-hmm. so you know, you have to like go through the scene and you have to illuminate the scene. And so when I, you know, when I first started, uh, I remember in school, they were like, all right, we're going to paint with light. And at first they make it look like you have glow sticks and it's, you know, pitch black and it's awesome. And then they're like, all right, now let's really do the scene. And so you're right. So it looks as if it's, I almost want to say that it looks almost like a negative image um, in a way because, you know, you're taking Mm -hmm. this dark scene and you're kind of flipping everything that's dark is now light. When you're painting with yeah. lights, you're illuminating things so that you can see what the, what's there. Well, if anybody in our audience has ever – a lot of wedding photographers use painting with light when you see people do like the sparkler photos where like the married couple will draw a heart. So that's mm-hmm. like an artistic way of painting with light because the image is then illuminated. But for us, we're literally doing it to create visibility on our scene where there isn't any. So mm-hmm. – it's a really, really cool tool. I will say that while Shelly is correct, it is very fun. When you have already been on scene for like over 20 hours, painting with light is a butt ton of work and it yes. can be exhausting and it's nearly impossible to do by yourself. Unless you have a yeah. very small area, you really have to have two people. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, after you've been on all that, yeah, you've got to have people that, you know, all right, guys, can't go home yet. I'm not finished yet. And we have to still do the painting with light. And yeah. And then you have to make sure if you're, you know, on a scene and depending on what time you get called out, you got to take care of that before the sun comes up because mm-hmm. you have to do that accurate representation. And it's a it's a little complicated and it, it does take a lot. And I love painting with light when it's fun, not when it's crime scene. Right. Involved. It can be, yeah. it's like the last thing that you want to do, but it's super yeah. important because like my whole scene that I was talking about, basically what happened is, since we mentioned marijuana earlier, I might as well tell this story. <laughs> um, two juveniles were having an unpleasant discussion and – Over less than two grams of weed, one of them stabbed the other one in the heart. And he did not take to that calmly. So he started running up and down the street. So the blood spatter was like quite lengthy. Yes. Yes. And I want you to remember this scene because I'm going to come back to it when we get to sketches in a minute. So think about a parking lot. And a I'm, young I'm man, seeing arterial spurt is what I'm seeing. N- yes, absolutely. So <laughs> he was running up and down this parking lot, which was not a short distance. So putting a pin in that, I want to expand on photography outside of the norm. So we just went over painting with light. The other one mm-hmm. is very specialized. I have had training in this. However, I have not used it a lot. So when I speak about it, I want everybody to be very clear or hear me very clearly. I am not an expert on this. I have a basic understanding of it, though I cannot wait to get Heidi Nichols on this show. Heidi, I'm calling you to my show right now. UV IR photography. Now, this is ultraviolet infrared photography. So if you're not really familiar with why Mm -hmm. black lights do what they do, and why infrared is used for night vision. These are things that exist outside of the visible light spectrum. Sorry. I So I've done one um, on GSR, on the gunshot residue. Okay, it right. it does show gunshot residue yeah, on, it's like, you know, different colored fabric. Yeah, let me be basic about it. Okay, so if you take a black light to a hotel room and shit lights <laughs> don't, up. Don't do that. Don't, don't right, do that. Right, but that's an example <laughs> of UV. Okay, and then... 
IR, again, like I mentioned, is like that night vision. It's like seeing things that are not visible to you normally, okay? Mm-hmm. So there are cameras that are specially made to photograph within those spectrums. It is, yeah. in my opinion, extremely cool because you can do things like nuanced evidence search depending on the wavelength that you have the camera set or the lens. Uh, the, the lens on the camera has different filters and that's mm-hmm. how you're able to access that. The camera is essentially has an element of it removed or it's formulated in a special way to do this. These cameras take photographs that are a huge wow factor as far as evidence. They've been able to find things that other testing methods do not. I don't want to go further than that because I feel like I'll start to speak out of my lane. So I'm just going to mention that IR UV photography exists. It is extremely cool and it has become very revolutionary in forensics. Now, mm-hmm. when I'm going to keep referring to this scene because it really kind of ticks down. When I had that crime scene where this young man ran up and down an apartment complex and bled everywhere, and then all of his friends started freaking out, and then there's drugs, and then there's guns, and there's shooting, and then there's projectiles. There was a lot of evidence geographically, okay? So at that point, After everything has been properly collected and photographed and sketched, which I'll get to also, we then chose to take orange traffic paint, like what Mm -hmm. the traffic unit does to march car crashes, and Mm -hmm. mark the major items of evidence on the street. Because this scene was a very big deal. A juvenile has now been murdered and very, very publicly. And... He was Mm -hmm. a black man, so we had to make sure that that community felt supported by this investigation. Uh, Just because at this time, there was a lot of discourse, and we, not that we didn't treat any murder this way, but in particular, because of the nature of the environment at the time, it was important to us that these people felt the love, so to say, in such a tragic situation. Mm -hmm. So we kind of took it not just to a 10, but to like a 15. And the way that we did that in particular here is sometimes when you have these outdoor scenes, you'll get the fire bucket and they'll put you up in the fire bucket so you can take some really good aerial photography that will establish the evidence better. Like we were talking about overalls before. Well, Mm -hmm. when evidence is a thousand, two thousand yards apart, and it's sprinkled across north, south, east, west, it's impossible to capture it all in a picture, right? Yeah. For this scene, our local sheriff's office was generous enough to let me go up in the helicopter That's and so take awesome. my pictures hanging out of a helicopter. I would prefer that this kid did not get murdered, but I got to go up in a helicopter, and it was so stinking cool and the the thank goodness for that orange parking paint or traffic paint because i could get a really good image that showed like you could literally see his path as he ran so we actually we use our helicopter our aerial it's called astria it's the aerial support to regional enforcement agencies that's what astria oh, we call them for. papa units a papa unit I, papa I mean, that's units. way that's way easier but yeah <laughs> ours is astria And if we're not using Astra, we also use drones. Okay. So at the time of this scene, 
that was not as innovative. So I'm really glad that you mentioned drones. Um, we're going to get into that a little bit when I double click into a video. But yes, Shelly is correct. Drones are awesome and new in crime scene as well. I have to admit that I don't have much experience with them personally, but I have seen the results of them being utilized for crime scene documentation and wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm going to go ahead and float straight into sketches. Now, I've had a lot of students when I'm teaching say, like, what's the point of doing a sketch if you have pictures and video? Okay, that's actually a very good question because sketches are done by hand. There is a margin of error. They are measured by hand. Mm -hmm. However, no sketch is meant to be to scale. No mm -hmm. sketch is meant to be precise. You are meant to be representative, of Correct. where you are. Like, you're not going to put that it's 10 feet when it's five, but you might put that it's five foot one inch, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, or five foot, like, I mean, you're expected to have accuracy within, like, millimeters, because to be honest, like, depending on what you're measuring, there's really no reason to not do that. Correct. And depending on the nature of your scene, you might just be sketching the room that you're in, or you might be sketching the room that you're in and several walls in the room on what's called an elevation sketch. Mm -hmm. So I should probably digress. When I'm talking about sketching just the room that you're in, that's like a bird's eye view or like a plain view sketch. Yeah, and it just pretty much just shows like the scene and then where the evidence is in the mm -hmm. scene with very, very minimal detail of if it's right. a living room, then you may have, you know, the couch and the mm -hmm. coffee table and maybe if there's mm -hmm. like a chair or something and maybe the TV yes. and that's all you would put. You wouldn't put area rugs, you know, unless they were – Unless they were somehow important, like with the blood stain or something like yeah. that, potentially. But usually it's just like very large pieces of furniture. Yeah. Yeah. Like no laundry piles. Yeah. Um, and in kitchen, yeah. you're not like the coffee maker. You're just going to put, you know, like where the right. sink is in the countertop. And yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Very basic. So like for your example of the kitchen counter, the aerial or the bird's eye view of the kitchen you maybe won't see blood spatter that's on the backsplash. So not only would you have that bird's eye view sketch, but you would also have an elevation sketch, which is like you would say, oh, this is like the north wall of this kitchen, right? Mm -hmm. And that would then incorporate all of the elements that need to be known about that elevation wall. So taking this picture even bigger, you can do an entire house or an entire building I have never found the necessity to do a, this next sketch that I'm about to describe unless a scene was outdoors. Mm -hmm. But the next, or if there were several different locations, not just one house. A street view sketch is exactly how it sounds. It's going to look like the Google yeah. Maps that's not like a live photo. It's going to have mm -hmm. the street numbers it's, or street names, the, the house numbers. It's going to have like driveway directions, all things that are relevant if like maybe there was an escape route, if there was a struggle that spanned. So my main sketch for the scene that I mentioned earlier is a street view sketch because I'm not going to be doing a bird's eye view of a room. I'm going to be doing a street. Now, a lot of people will say to me like, well, how do you document or measure within these scenes? Okay. So I'm going to start basic. Mm -hmm. There are two main documentation methods for like, let's just call it a bedroom. You're going to have rectangular mm -hmm. or triangulation. Yep. So both measurement methods require two different lines attaching to a plot point on a piece of evidence 
where you're going to have a fixed area on a wall, and then you're going to have two lines that meet in the shape of a rectangle, and you will have a measurement from each line from the wall to the evidence. And the purpose of this is for, I don't know, like years down the road, if something needs to be reevaluated, you mm -hmm. should be able to establish where every piece of evidence approximately was within that scene. So for something like a body, we might take a head and foot measurement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's you know? usually what we do is the head and yeah, the foot. Exactly. Depending on Depending on how they're laying. Exactly. And the triangulation method, which is my preferred method yeah. of measurement, is you're going to pick a corner from each room, and that is the anchor for every piece of evidence, and then the plot point simply moves. So you're going to have corner A and corner B or corner X, Y, whatever you want, one, two. I don't like to use numbers for my corners because then it gets confusing with the other numbers that I'm going to be documenting. Yeah. Yeah. So there's those two methods, and then – the third method I want to talk about is bringing you all the way back to that apartment murder baseline. So if you mm -hmm. have evidence to where you're, you're definitely not going to be triangulating or rectangulating that because there's all kinds of factors. There's vehicles in the way, there's trees, there's staircases. Like it's impossible to do things in that manner when you've got a scene like that. So what you would do is you would take a GPS plot point and you would make mm -hmm. a northwest line. It can be not Northwest. It's standard to do Northwest. For example, the parking lot in this scene happened to be like an east-south exposure. So that was the way that my line went. And then what you would do is imagine like a timeline, how you've got this one long thing and then a bunch of things sprouting off of it. Yeah. You would plot point the the datum of the base of, of the starting of the line, you would indicate this line extends this direction. Mm -hmm. And then you have to go through the mm -hmm. painstaking process. I mean, you basically lay a ruler down as long as it needs to go. Yeah, that's what and that's then, what yeah. Exactly. Yeah, or like a tape measure. So you go like tape measure mm -hmm. from, you know, like one tree to the other tree within the parking lot. And then yeah, you've got like prongs that come off of it. And yes. that way, you know, you some, I mean, sometimes you it's may exhaustive. end up having, yeah, and, but sometimes you may end up having, you know, a piece of evidence within that, you know, under that. Yeah. That and so measure. what you would, yeah, and what you would do is, when I say northwest, this is what I mean. Okay, so the line extends north or whatever. Well, this piece of evidence was 55 inches north and 26 inches to the west of the line. So Correct. it's completely duplicatable. It's a pain in the ass, but it is super efficient. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I do want to make it. It's a like giving you a plot, like the XY axis. It's giving you a plot. Exactly, Shelly. So I would be doing my anthropology roots injustice if I didn't mention that for buried body surface skeleton scenes, we do prefer to use a grid method because the position of each remain is so important that you wouldn't yeah. want a general plot point for everything. It does matter. Right. And sometimes you have depth to these things. Now we can talk about things that I hate. <laughs> <laughs> and I do not do them. And the first one is polar measurements. I learned about this in school. I was tested on it for my crime scene certification. I brain dumped it immediately because I hate it. But because this show is thorough, 
I will tell you that polar measurements exist, but I would rather skin myself. Okay. Second to polar measurements is total station. I'm not good at circles. Right. (laughs) Well, second to polar measurements is total station. And the good news about total station for me is it's a lot of work that I don't have to do because in order to use total station, you have to be trained in it. The cool thing about total station is it's what the traffic unit typically uses or surveyors when like people are going out to like survey land or do something with construction. It's very, very precise geographically and you can plot as many points as you want and it'll actually map it for you. And I know you guys are probably thinking, Mm -hmm. why wouldn't you do that all the time? It's not going to look like a sketch, these plot points. It's going to look kind of like, you know how cardiologists can read ECGs, but the rest of us are like, whatever. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, like it's going to give you the main information, but it's not going to give you the context that you want. So the way that sketches tie in to photographs is when you see a photograph, you can't possibly grasp that size and that scope of that scene and see everything in an overall cohesive way. I know that we mentioned that we like to go back and take pictures of all of our cones so that they tell a story so you can see the movement of the evidence throughout the scene. But in a sketch, it's like a bam, there everything is. And you don't have to click through. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's very good in court to help the jury see things without mess, if that makes sense. Like, houses and pictures can have a lot of emotions attached. Um, I know, Shelly, that Mm -hmm. there are, I don't remember what it's called, but, like, the defense will suppress photographs and certain evidence that might emotionally affect the jury or skew them in some way. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Yes, a lot of evidence photographs sometimes of the victim and such won't be used, not because of victim integrity, but because they basically don't want the jury to. Yeah. And yeah. usually, usually it's, uh, that's the federal evidence rule. And it's, if, if I, if I'm picking up what you're putting down, then what it is, is it's uh, more prejudicial than beneficial. That, yes. Okay. That's, that's the thing that's said legally. Okay. Yes. So tying in Uh, crime scene sketches and video and photography together in a very cool way is this not as new, but definitely not old, still very trendy and cool and makes a big impact way of documenting crime scenes. There are two main machines that I'm aware of that do this. One is a Leica and the other is a foray machine. And it is a very, very super advanced camera on a tripod. And it Mm -hmm. takes something insane like 10 million pictures per second and it's able to document your crime scene down to like less than a millimeter of accuracy. It's like less than a millimeter. Yeah. Yep. And then if you've ever been on like an apartment complex's website or any kind of major building like um, opening, if you see that really cool fly Mm -hmm. through video, those machines can do that. And they are super, super cool. So I wanted to briefly mention that before I wrap us up with video. Now, video is a little bit more complicated in the way that It's hard to establish the best time to take the video. Sometimes, depending on the scene, you're going to want to do the video with no evidence markers, nothing else. You're just going to want to have the raw scene. Sometimes the detective will ask you to do a second round of video with evidence markers in place so that it paints the picture. 
the nuances of video are this. You are meant to, oh, it's this date. This is the case number. This is the address. And then you're meant to mm-hmm. disable the sound. Shelly, can you guess why we might need to disable the sound on our crime scene videos? I'd rather not say. Idiots. I'm, can I please Idiots, Shelly. It's I, idiots. I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that. <laughs> it's, it's, yes, but, you know, yeah, there's. It's yes. because no matter how many times you tell people, I am taking a video, everybody mm-hmm. be quiet. Somebody is going to scream something profane. Somebody is going to be talking in the background. There is going to be some random explosion or fart or burp. The most professional people in the world cannot control themselves. So I will also say that, that I, okay, so I, I've come up with a better way for me to, to express this. So sometimes they divulge confidential information. Right, that, that shouldn't too. be on the video. So there, that's why you have to mute the video. Oh, so you were nicer about it and more professional than me. I was just saying idiots. (laughs) Also, the mistakes that I see people make with video, and by people, I mean I have also made this mistake. People tend to move too fast throughout the scene, and then it ends up being like that movie Cloverfield, and it's just like gives everybody nausea. sickness. Yeah. You can. (laughs) You have to move very, very slowly, and you have to be – so that's why another thing with the turning off the audio, it takes a lot of time to video a scene, mm-hmm. especially if you're doing multiple cuts or you have multiple locations to go video. And if you stop the video, you have to explain why you've stopped the video. Are mm-hmm. you hiding evidence if you stop the video? So there's a lot of things that that go, that go into it with videos, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Uh, with human videos. I That's why I like and mentioned drones earlier. Yes. So tapping back into drones, you know, there are a lot of agencies that have drones for SWAT because it's safe for both the public and the officers to make contact with barricaded individuals. That's, I think, how it started is both officer and public safety. And it has also helped law enforcement with search and recovery. But Crime scene got a nice little benefit out of that because drones, much like the Foray and the Leica, pick up astonishing detail. And police agencies are investing a lot of money in them, so they're very, very high quality. So I love the innovation that I'm seeing in drones. I did not work with these on crime scenes, but I am a huge fan. So just to say, I yeah, so I love I love the drone. I mean, I I, I prefer. To have mm-hmm. drones rather than videotape because it uh-huh. also gives the overview as opposed to, you know, me being super yeah. short and my video is going to look different than, you know, someone that's ex- that's taller than me. Okay. Well, I totally love that. And I love that you're my like little pocket person. <laughs> <laughs> Fun size, pocket size. I don't know. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So like just I, I got t- everything under the counter. I'll video everything under the counters because that's about my eye level. Yes. So like you're like basically like the view of a child in this scene. Yes. <laughs> we love it. We love it. We love our spinners. Um <laughs> so we haven't even hit on everything for scenes, and we've yep. literally just used up our entire episode. Yep. We use up our time. So the only thing I'm going to mention really quick before we wrap up is what ties all of these things together is a crime scene investigator's written notes. Now, yes. I know I, the only thing I want to say about this is that in Florida, our crime scene notes are not admissible. I know from working with other CSIs throughout the country mm-hmm. that that is not typical. 
Do you know that your what your rules are? Yes. So the notes, um, if you keep all of your notes, you don't ever throw any of them away because Mm -hmm. all uh, forensic notes can be, and actually they are usually part of the files Mm -hmm. and part of the cases. Yep. So ours are not. So ours live in the crime scene unit and therefore our reference when we go to study or prepare for court. Now, this is why I wanted to do a little bit of a, this is what you do put in notes and this is what you do not put in notes. What you will always put in notes, suspect, victim, persons of interest, first responding officer, any responding emergency services, any responding fire. Oh, I'm sorry. When I said emergency services, I mean like EMS, like medical. Yeah. Fire departments, you'll put down the time and the arrival of the medical examiner, the removal time of any body. You'll put down the time that the body was pronounced, who pronounced them, address, date, basics, all vehicle information, VIN number, car, make, model, year, all of that. But what yes. you do not put in your notes, particularly if they are discoverable, like Shelly is saying in part of the case file, you do not use words like blood, gold. Gunshot wound. No. no Ever. No. No. It's kind of reddish like your brown report. Stain. Yes. Reddish brown presumptive? stain. Presumptive? Or I'm ever going to say blood is presumptive. I, I say suspected blood spatter. Sometimes. Suspect, yeah. Suspected. Like yeah, if it's coming out of somebody's head, I'll say like blood is coming out of his brains. Like, right. But you would never write anything in a document that is a part of an official file that is conclusive it's without conclusive. testing. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, you guys, we did not mention everything that's out there. We are just totally giving you the basics of what most people do. We didn't get into measurement wheels. We didn't get into different collection methods of those metric measurements. All right. So listen up, everybody. We love you for listening to us. We love you if you're still listening to us. We can't believe you are, but we're so, so excited about it. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, you can always email us hello at crimescenequeens.com. We are at crimescenequeens on Instagram, TikTok, all of that mess. We would love to hear from you. Yep. And Facebook. Shelly and I actually read all of the messages and answer them. So, yeah. yeah. Please continue to listen to us, um, even yeah. though Laura doesn't understand why. And sometimes I'm like, oh my god. I'm just goodness. teasing. And, you know, I listen to us. And yeah, exactly. So, I, uh, you know, I sometimes you know listen to us while we're on the treadmill and you know you're so funny i I laughed so hard that i had to stop because i almost fell off the treadmill oh my gosh i i we love us (laughs) i'm just kidding (laughs) all right you laura i love you shell and make sure that you're telling your friends to listen to us too because you know something might be interesting for them and remember if you're gonna commit a crime or die do your local csi a favor and keep it interesting Crime Scene Queens is a Q Code Media production. Executive producers, David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Ryan Countshouse. Edited by Nate Dufort. Theme song and music by Darren Johnson. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch, involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati, and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. 
from Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. <laughs> 